There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey with Workflow Solutions. Well, Tom, we were talking about banks last week and we were kind of playing it down that we didn't think there was a crisis. But obviously things have unfolded this week and it's obviously been a lot worse than we'd thought. Well, I would say, Willie, the contagion, which is the real worrying thing about a bank crisis, has been contained. SVP was sorted, the deposits were guaranteed in America, HSBC bought the UK arm um, without any taxpayers being involved in the bailout, which was good. And then um, something you'll know more about than me, Credit Suisse was put into the arms of UBS. Now, the headline that I saw, which made me chuckle, was that an august financial institution like Credit Suisse was bought for the same price as Greg's the Bakers. <laughs> Steak bake, here we come. So, Willie, I'm more confident today that the contagion's been sorted. How about you? Well, I think it's interesting, especially on the Credit Suisse um, story. Imagine now that um, UBS taking over Credit Suisse, I was having a chuckle when it said the headline was now that now that they are the largest wealth management company in the world as a bank, who would trust putting their money in there, <laughs> right? If Credit Suisse had made such a bad job of it, I, I know for a fact, obviously, because of my son living in Geneva, there was a lot of people very worried in Switzerland this week. But I, I hope, I hope that the contagion has been averted. But I think that um, it was certainly a lot worse than we thought this time last week, but it does look as if it has calmed down. We've had the markets up and down. The banking sector took a huge hit at the start of last week, and now it's kind of levelled off. But um, it's interesting on this one, it's not a global financial crisis. It's actually been bad management at both SVB and at Credit Suisse. It does seem to be, Willie. Now, I've got to praise you here. It's not often I praise you, Willie. Inflation went back up last week. So it went from 10.1 up to 10.4. And not one commentator, economist, sage, soothsayer saw it coming. Perhaps apart from Go Radio Business's Willie Hockey. Come on, Willie, take the plaudit. Thank you, Thomas. <laughs> praise from you is high praise, I can tell you. But I think I'd said when I said this last week that I didn't believe that Jeremy Hunt had any chance of getting to 2.9% inflation this year. And I thought that Andrew Bailey was was wrong in his assessment about things are going to be hunky-dory now, we've sorted everything. And it's interesting, Tom, I mean, I, I'm an amateur, you know, compared to Danny Blanchflower, but... He's come out this week and said that the interest rate hike was absolutely bonkers, right? And this won't. And he says if anybody thinks 
that we will not have inflation, you know, still in the, maybe towards the tens rather than the fives. But the one thing he said is, if anyone thinks that inflation is under control now, they must be mad. So apart from what I've got to say, I think Danny was part of the MPC, I think, for many, many years when he was you know, deputy of the Bank of England. So I think that, I think Andrew Bailey is not looking at all the indicators. I mean, the price of food is not going to go back down. And it's one of the key contributors to the 10.4, you know, that's just been been announced. But the other thing you, you had mentioned last week, why has there been no impact and a reduction in energy prices when oil now has got back to a level, gas prices now are a lot less for the for the you know, the suppliers to buy. So why are the people not? Why are we not jumping up and down with joy the way we were we were so concerned a few months ago about energy prices? Well, we've got one of the world's leading experts on energy joining Go Radio Business after the break, so we can ask Professor Sir Jim MacDonald, the sage of Strathclyde, as you call him. Um, but getting back to interest rates, so another 25-bit rise in the UK, so it's 4.25. The Fed, also 25 bips. It's, it's the 11th raise in a row in the UK. How do you think businesses here in Scotland how do you think they're coping and is there anything we can do to give them any hints to help them this morning? Well, I would like to, I'd like to know what the cash flow is like, you know, within banks, back to businesses. I think when, you know, when the, when it was Armageddon six months ago, I don't think people were getting any joy at all in going for loans for the banks. We know that mortgages had kind of, not ceased, but had kind of nearly grounded to a halt. But I, I think that, It'll be interesting now to see if they're actually lending. And I think the big, big worry, Tom, the question you're asking is, I think businesses at the moment will be a wee bit hesitant in expansion because they've got no idea at the moment where the interest rate is actually going to go. So I, I think we, we need more certainty. Yeah, I mean, I think this is probably the last increase. Um, it's an amateur guess, Willie. But I think it's the last guess. We are working with a, company, a couple of businesses down south trying to get refinancing. And it's tough, Willie. Um, high street banks, you know, when, when you and I were growing our businesses, were there. Bank of Scotland was there for us. They understood our businesses inside out. They understood the type of finance we required. But what I'm finding just now is that Credit committees for businesses are sometimes in India. They're sometimes led not by human beings. And I think that is a problem. Growth capital, in my experience of working with these couple of businesses, is really constrained. And I, I agree with you, that constrains businesses' ability to grow. I, I think... One of the things that concerned me the most this week was actually what happened at the Fed in the States. All the indicators, all the leaks that came out for three weeks leading to announcement was all that were going to remain the same. And something happened there to spook Mr. Powell and his team that they actually raised theirs by another quarter percent. 
But what, what I was interested in the States was that the headline was then that that puts their rate up between 4.75 and 5. I wonder how you get a between. <laughs> yeah. I think if you go for a loan, it's the higher rate. <laughs> <laughs> but so that for me it means that they got a shock that they had got something wrong, that they had to rush that out. They had no intentions of raising the, um, you know, their interest rates by a quarter percent and did it at the last minute. So can I, can I take you now to Scottish Fiscal Commission, led by Graham Roy, an, an economist who I actually rate. Many economists I don't rate, but Graham Roy, I think, is um, a very thoughtful guy. And this is a economic outlook independent of government, so they're not influenced um, by government. And, oh goodness, I'm always looking for good news in the show, Willie, but when I read that with my conflicts, I was a bit down. It was basically saying that Scotland's got an ageing population and because of that, the percentage of our GDP that's going to have to go to health to take care of an ageing population could hit 50%. And therefore, our economy's not growing the way it should and therefore there's going to be a huge deficit, maybe up to 50 billion in 10 years. Now, what we need to do, Willie, is to say to the next First Minister of Scotland that we are here, willing, ready and able to help them grow the economy. There has been this nonsense that there shouldn't be any growth in the economy of Scotland. Well, those figures put it out there starkly that if there isn't, we cannot afford the civil society, which we both agree with. So what can we do... Is there anybody that you think would be better to be First Minister or do you want to stay away from the politics today? I think staying away from the politics is kind of difficult because it all has an effect at the moment on business and that's what we're talking about. So there is no doubt of all the candidates. The one person who is talking about the importance of growing the economy and probably the one person who's got a real grip on what you've just told the listeners, right, is Kate Forbes. Right. Right, so, you know, certainly when it comes to the pact with the Green Party, then they've got two hands tied behind their back because here is a, a group of people who tell you that they are anti-growth. So what I would like is, is that we've got experts telling us that we could have as much as a 10 billion shortfall, right, over the next years. We really need to get these people in a room and we need to get an expert panel of economists. And that's the one thing that, that Scotland has lacked you know, I've always said that in the pursuit of independence by the SNP, I was always amazed that they didn't put a group of high-level people together, right, and, and who understood the economy to guide them, to help them, whatever, you know, tell them, is it going to be the pound or is it going to be the whatever it is, the chucker, whatever, you know, the Scotch pound is going <laughs> to groat. be. The groat. The groat, right? Uh, um, I, I think that um, there's something has to be done because this is real, this is real. This is this will be the state of Scotland's economy in 10, 20 years if we do not have a plan. So to answer your question, I think by far the, the candidate that would understand this and try and do something about it and would like to get involved in a conversation to see how other people can help. And it doesn't matter what their politics are, right? We all love Scotland, right? At the end of the day, we want to see Scotland strive and grow. I think that Kate Forbes certainly would, would be the best candidate. So I was reading a poll, and, you know, polls can be misleading. Um, who knows about statistics? But this 
poll just just taken. And by the way, we're we're going to know who our new first minister is tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this poll was taken, and first of all, it said that all three of the candidates with the general population in Scotland were less popular than Nicola Sturgeon. Wow. <laughs> it then said Humza's popularity was was getting towards Rishi Sunak's in Scotland. <laughs> um, that's an unpopularity. Yeah, that's a negative. For the listeners, that's I a think, negative. I think I'm the only one that actually thinks he's doing a good job. But anyway, Kate Forbes was the most popular amongst the general population but Humza was the most popular with SNP voters. And here's the real crunch for me, Willie. The bookies said Humza is one to four on. Now, for the betting people out there, that's a racing cert. So, okay, maybe that's going to be what's going to happen. But let me just put it out there this morning because whoever is crowned our First Minister tomorrow is inheriting a difficult situation. Yeah. A difficult situation for our wonderful country. The NHS waiting list, people are waiting up to seven years. Let me repeat that. Seven years for surgery. Education, secondary education in this country, we are falling down world tables that we used to lead. That's unacceptable. And let's call it out, the previous First Minister didn't seem to engage with business to the detriment of the people of Scotland. So what I'd like to say this morning is we all care about Scotland. You've said it. I've said it. We care about this wonderful country that's been so good to us. We need to get together, whoever becomes our First Minister, and our phones are on, we will help in whichever way we can. We never got the call from the last First Minister. Let's see if we get the call from the new First Minister, Willie. We can only hope. We can only hope. We won't, as you say, we'll know very shortly. But I, I just hope that, there's, there's, that no matter who wins, there's, there's going to be a huge upheaval in the politics of Scotland, right? And uh, who am I to talk about what the, the damage to another party, right? But I think... It's going to take so much time to get that sorted when it all starts to unravel that I think that everyone will going to grind to a halt for the next three months, which we don't need. I mean, there's some speculation this week that um, the SNP were trying to get it, that the new First Minister didn't have to do questions next week. Oh, my God. Right, so that's... that's um, but, but what we're talking about the government, we're talking about business... We have touched on it. It's one of your babies, right? <laughs> the, 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 the bottle return scheme, right? <laughs> so it's interesting that we found out this week, the company that's been chosen, right, uh, to run the scheme, right, Circularity Scotland Limited, right, was only formed in 2020, right? Right, okay. okay? And it looks like, if you believe the media, that the, the, this group of people are only a board and they subcontract all of the operation that takes to do with the return scheme. Interesting model, uh, Willie. Interesting model. So I have to ask, the one thing that has intrigued me, and I think I mentioned it last week, I would like someone to explain the term it was put together by industry, when the whole of this industry is actually against it, and they've been quite vocal <laughs> Vociferous, I think, in, in, in their angst. So I think that what we have to do here is someone has to explain 
how circularity Scotland actually works and who's actually doing the work. And I think that for a say you're a not-for-profit business, but you're projecting 57 million and potentially, if you pick up all the rest of the work in the UK, you'll be a £5 billion business. I would like to invite anybody for Circularity Scotland Limited to come on the show in the next couple of weeks and talk us through that one. What happens to the £57 million in a non-profit making business? Well, you make a good point. I don't know what to say apart from whoever's our new First Minister. Let's start with the truth. I think there was a lot of mistruths towards the end of the last First Minister. Let's get serious about getting Scotland going. The bottle return scheme was a policy written to business, not with business, to the detriment of Scottish business. Bottom line, terrible. Let's finish with a bit of good news. Good news, Willie. Yeah, Great. And it's, and it's also a lead into our special guest today, Okay, Sir Jim Prep, Professor Sir Jim McDonald. The Sage of Strathclyde. The Sage of Strathclyde. We've just given him a new uh, moniker, as they say. <laughs> a hundred million pounds to be invested in Scotland's renewable energy storage capacity with plans to build new facilities in the Highlands using water, gravity and dams to double capacity. Okay. Got to be good news. The headline sounds good, Willie. How about the detail? We need to get Jimmy to explain it to us, I think, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but this leads on for what we've been talking about for weeks, and it's great that we've got Jim on this morning, right? Yeah. We are absolutely determined that Scotland should be at the forefront, right, of new initiatives that's going to help with climate change. And with the news this week about how bad things are now with the climate, we have to step up our game. But what we need to do, we need to make sure that we get all the data and all the signs so as we go forward with the right projects. People are having this knee-jerk reaction, you know, let's fit heat pumps, let's do this, let's do that. Let's make sure we've got a group. Everybody in the room agrees, right? The scientists, the academics, the people who deliver the product, the people who install the product. Let's make sure, right? Everyone knows the best thing that we could do to every house at the moment is to double insulate Insulation, right? And yes. In a lot of cases, it's not possible. But let's start at that's the point. And let's look at the specifications for new houses when it comes to insulation. So I think that for, for me, this is good news. But definitely, we said it last week, once they're sorting out the new regions for enterprise zones, why could the UK government not allow the whole of Scotland to be an enterprise zone, right, to look at new ways and means, research and development into the way that we could get to net zero and everything we do by maybe 2050? So a great idea. And since you put the idea in my head, I've been looking across the pond, not to America, but to Ireland. Yeah. And... We're doing the work. We're not ready to talk about it yet, but there's some really interesting things to learn from Southern Ireland, Willie. Three, three million people, so less than us, but economically vibrant. Right, so just to finish on this segment, back to your point, of all the things we've discussed today, we don't want to put out there that we're sitting here having a go you put out an offer to the, whoever the new First Minister is. I'm saying to anyone who's involved in the climate change issues that would be more than welcome to come on the show and we can try and help them get to where they're trying to get to. I think it's a great offer, Willie. You know, this isn't about politics. This is about caring about our brilliant country 
and getting together to do something about it. Let's hear from them. Coming next, Hunter and Hockey chat to Professor Sir Jim MacDonald, Principal and Vice-Chancellor of the University of Strathclyde. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, part of the Scottish Procurement Framework for Managed Print Solutions, available to all public sector bodies and charities. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security, and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs, saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is Professor Sir Jim MacDonald, Principal and Vice-Chancellor of the University of Strathclyde. Sir Jim also co-chairs with the First Minister, the Scottish Government's Energy Advisory Board and is Chairman of the Independent Glasgow Economic Leadership Board. Well, Tom, we've been talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. What are we going to do about climate change? And this morning, we've managed to get the man on the show. We've been trying to go on for months and months. Professor Sir Jim McDonald, who's got all the answers for you. We're in the company of royalty. The sage of Strathclyde. <laughs> We're very excited, as you, as you can tell, Jim. Um, it doesn't take much to get us excited. But seriously, um, we've been talking in this show about energy. We don't know too much about it. We always go and try and find an expert and here you are. So, Willie, over to you. Jim, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. We've both obviously known you for many years, too many we can't remember. <laughs> but um, thank you so much for coming on. And we've been talking about it for a few weeks and we're, we're laughing about it now, but it's deadly serious. We believe that Scotland could be at the forefront of leading new ways to get to carbon zero. Right, and obviously we know that the university through yourself has been involved in it. So, format for this segment is tell the listeners a wee bit about yourself, your background, and then we can get right into what you've got to offer the country. Great. Well, thanks, Willie. Thanks, Tom. I'm really delighted to be with you. Uh, so, a very, very brief uh, background for me. Well, uh, I was brought up not too very, very far from this studio, so I, I'm a, a son of Govan. Uh, so I was brought up... Uh, Sonny Govan. Uh, it was Sonny Govan, as it would be pronounced, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, so first in my family to go to university because uh, my father and my two brothers worked in around Fairfield shipyards. Uh, I made a failed attempt to leave school when I was 15, but my mother got a hold of me and, uh, as only a mother can do, persuaded me to go back into school, finished my hires and actually went to Strathclyde University to study electrical engineering. Brilliant. Uh, when I graduated, uh, I actually joined the utility industry, so I was a transmission and distribution engineer with the South of Scotland Electricity Electricity Board. SSEB. SSEB, now Scottish Power, of course. Uh, There's a nice bit of circularity there for me because I'm now Vice Chairman of the Board of Scottish Power, so in many ways I've I've gone full circle from the time I joined them. But I worked there uh, for seven or eight years and then I had the opportunity to to go back into university for, for a secondment. Uh, that was a three-year secondment nearly 40 years ago because <laughs> I went in, really enjoyed the engagement with the students, uh, but in particular, I enjoyed the intellectual freedom of pursuing research. Uh, and because of my industry background, it allowed me to translate what the university was doing 
into impact because as you both know, the university's motto is useful learning and that's what I pursued. So all, all credit to SSEB, they sponsored me to do my master's degree and my PhD and I still work very closely with them. My, my career in the university, because uh, that's where my career has sat ever since uh, I left the company, uh, I became the Rolls-Royce Professor of Electrical Engineering just about 30 years ago. Wow. wow. So I helped them on their journey to electrification for aircraft, for ships, uh, for, their, for their systems, and then became principal at the university, which was, was really, you know, the pinnacle for me at the university uh, 14 years ago. I, I do a number of other things, but to your point, Willie and Tom, it's around engineering and energy. Uh, I'm president of the UK's Royal Academy of Engineering. Now, I understand that's a first for a Scot, Jim. Is uh, that uh, correct? Uh, that, that was a surprise for me, Tom, uh, when I took up the role, because given Scotland's historical links to engineering yeah. and technology and innovation, uh, I was indeed the wow. first Scot, and hopefully not the last, last. Scot. Yeah. Uh, and um, it's a five-year uh, position, so uh, at the end of 2024, they'll be looking for, uh, you know, for the next president. But uh, I still stay close to industry. I've got my role at Scottish Power and another powerhouse of engineering in Scotland. Uh, I'm the senior independent director of the Weir Group. I mean, the right. Weir Group's over 150 years yes. old, still headquartered in Glasgow. Yeah. Not too really? many FTSE 100 companies headquartered here, but here we are. And my, my privilege is, uh, we're working with friends such as around the table today, is to take what I do and make sure that we drive as much value for Glasgow, for Scotland, and across the rest of the world. But I, I completely I concur with your point. Uh, climate change is a reality. You know, we're seeing the dangers of not containing the global warming to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels. And for the rest of the century, that is looking challenged. Yes. So we must address it. Uh, and I'm happy to talk to you about that. But as we address it, let's build economic opportunity. And I think Scotland's poised to do it it's not guaranteed that we're going to have the success, but we've got the talent. I think we've got the ambition and the will. We've got to get the investment and the voice of business in the heart of this as well yeah. and get the policy vectors going in the right direction. But we really need to do what Scotland does best and has done for centuries, entrepreneurship, innovation, and then delivery. And it's that last piece that will create the economic opportunity. And, and Jim, obviously with the news this week that things are worse than they were, is that an alarm bell? When, we're delayed. Obviously, we've got someone here who's actually connected to the government. You obviously advised the, the First Minister. Is that a wake-up moment? I know we know it's all coming, but today, was that startling news? Yeah, I'm sad to say it probably wasn't that surprising, yeah. really, for yeah. many of us that have stayed close to you know the agenda. But uh, I think society is piece by piece waking up to the fact that climate change and global warming is everybody's challenge. Now, not everyone can make the big steps. It's worthwhile remembering that every one of us can make little steps as consumers. You know, we can think about how we use energy, how we consume products, how we live our lives, how we control the environment in which we work in. But for the government levels, I mean, how many decades have we been saying we need concerted action? We need policies to deliver outcomes. 2015 brought the Paris Agreement, and that was a landmark moment because the Paris Agreement said that we would commit to keeping global warming to no more than two degrees centigrade above pre-industrial levels or much less than that. A couple of years later, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change was saying, actually, it needs to be 1.5, and we're already approaching 1.5. And we look around us, and, I mean, sometimes we... we don't see all of the impacts of climate change in our own country. But we can see the changing climate. We can change the see the changing seasons. 
I mean, uh, drought and flooding around the world, flooding in our own country, uh, the impacts that has on society. But we can see that there are very displaced communities around the world, particularly those at the low socioeconomic levels, that are most exposed to the impacts of, of climate change. So to your point, Willie, it was not surprising, but what we really need to do now is to use this alarm bell to make sure that what the Paris Agreement said what we did at COP26 in Glasgow, which was really important, to say we now need to put the investments behind this. And we need many of the, the, the key speakers uh, were talking about there's a need for $2 trillion worth of investment wow. annually. Yes. So, so, Jim, can I ask you, because I think this is great that we can get you on the show this morning. You know, Willie and I have a dream, as it were, that Scotland can lead the world in this What's the practical step? So tomorrow, we got a new First Minister. So I take it you're open to help, first of all, and, and lead, because I think it needs leadership. But what are the practical steps for Scotland to treat this as an opportunity and not a threat? Yeah. So uh, I've been chairing the Scottish Government's Energy Advisory Board with successive First Ministers since it was first established. Right. And, and uh, you know, demanding uh, the outcome at the weekend, I'll have a new co-chair of the Scottish Energy Advisory Board. So how do we capture the economic value? I'll make one brief reference if I may to a great friend of mine, a person called Lord Nick Stern, well, I may know. Uh, Nick's a hero of mine, and I, and I have to say, I'm delighted to say he's become a friend of mine over recent years. He was commissioned by Tony Blair about 16 years ago, and he produced the eponymous Stern Report yeah. called The Economics of Climate Change. And he said, look, as well as dealing with containing global warming, let's create economic opportunity through new industries, new jobs, new infrastructure. Uh, and i give you a historical reference. It's almost exactly 100 years ago that a Scotsman, Lord Weir was commissioned by the UK government to produce the Electricity Supply Act. Wow. They imagined what yeah. the power grid should look like. We're needing that same, Tom, to your point, leadership, vision, and then action. So in Scotland, uh, just to give you some, some numbers, the peak demand in Scotland just now is about 5.5 gigawatts, so 5,500 megawatts. Right. If I, I mentioned my time in South of Scotland, the Electricity Board, the system has changed dramatically since then. Longanet Power Station is shut, as is Cockenzie, uh, as is Carolina Port. Hunterston's now closed. The two large conventional thermal stations are at Peterhead, gas-powered, and Torness, advanced gas-cooled reactors. So what that's telling is the conventional power system has changed dramatically over the past 20 or 30 years. However, in order to address climate change, we must replace this with low carbon and renewable sources. Well, that's very large scale offshore wind farms. And I'll, if you don't mind, I'll come back to that in a moment. Sure. Or all the way down to the micro level, more efficient homes through energy efficiency, building integrated renewables, uh, more effective use of energy, smart metering and all of this. So Scotland's really at this inflection point Right. The, the next 10 years are critical. Now, we talk about 2050 as the target for net zero, uh, and that's great and it's exciting. But 2030 for me is a more practical okay. uh, objective. If, we, if we're not well on our way by 2030, 2050 is almost going to be impossible to reach. So what might we do? So uh, just about a year ago, uh, the Scotland leases were uh, let by yes. the Crown Estate Scotland. Uh -huh. 
releasing something like 25 gigawatts of potential offshore wind around the shores of Scotland. Wow. Now, let me remind you what I said to you. The peak demand in Scotland, five and a half gigawatts. The Scott wind leases potentially 25 gigawatts. Yeah. We've already got 13 gigawatts of renewables in Scotland, plus Peterhead, plus Torness. So uh, what we're going to have to think about, as well as getting these projects in the water and operational, we need to think about, for example, grid infrastructure. Yeah. So just now, our, our transfer capacity between Scotland and England is about two and a half to three gigawatts. Right. So I, I'll give you an analogy. It's like so building... Do we export yeah, so we could, term. you're saying the potential to export, but we just don't have infrastructure. It, it would be right. catastrophic, Willie, if we don't build the grid infrastructure that can bring the offshore wind ashore for right. lots of reasons, which I'll touch on, then we'll basically have built many, many cars, but we'll have no roads to drive them on, in effect, as yes. an analogy. So Even we I need understand that one, Jim. So, yes. so we need to build the resources, and we will. We need to anchor the economic opportunity in Scotland, which I'll touch on. Uh, but there's a will in Scotland, uh, but they have some powers, but not all the powers. So the Scottish government can influence planning, but they need to be very well aligned with the UK government, who have the uh, control and power over energy policy. And so we need to strategy. work with Westminster it, it is for a, the benefit of Scotland. It, it's essential, uh, Tom. Uh, I, I sit on the Prime Minister's Council for Science and Technology. Okay. So I was there two days this week, uh, and the net zero was a, a primary discussion. Uh, because the the UK government has made a commitment to 2050. It was one of the first large countries to make a legally binding commitment to that, and, and to their credit, that's that's good. Scotland brought that forward to 2045, so that's fair enough. That shows the level of ambition. But you and Willie have, have challenged me a couple of times, and I think it's right to do so. This is right that we have a big, challenging, ambitious, you know, cred, you know, a creditable target. But we need to build jobs around this and we need to build industry. So of the 25 gigawatts of offshore wind, we need to ask ourselves the question, how many of those are going to be manufactured, constructed and serviced out of Scotland? Right. And there's now a growing community of people that you will know, uh, Sirian Wood up in Aberdeen, Roy McGregor up in Nig, uh, Charles Hammond at Forth Ports, uh, myself and others, that are now saying if we build the port infrastructure in Scotland... We can attract not only the big international manufacturers, but we can build supply chain in Scotland. Right. Whether this is translating capability from the oil and gas industry into offshore wind. And these are good, highly skilled jobs, Jim. Tom, th th this would be probably 50% to 100% higher than average wage levels for, for Which uh, is technicians. Right, brilliant. High, high value jobs for a, green, a new green revolution of industries. And, and coming back to this market, you've asked me how might we land this. Ironically, we refer back to the oil and gas growth. And, and I, I don't buy into pillaring the oil and gas industry. No. They're going to be an essential part. And of we the, agree with that. Yeah, we agree know, with that. They're going to be part of the transition Absolutely. over the next 25 to 30 a years. A sensible transition. What yeah. have they got? They've got the balance sheet, they've got the technical expertise, and they know how to deliver big projects. And... If we are to believe their chief executives and their boards, they are committed to the energy transition. So they're looking into what the market's going to look like through the rest of the century. So if we use the oil and gas supply chain to transition to offshore energy, then what we need to do is to build the manufacturing infrastructure. So up in NIG, 
Roy at Global Energy has yep. got a big multiple hectares along the the harbour there where we can build these turbines. And by the way, as an engineer, I get excited about these things, Tom, <laughs> that uh, the, the next generation of offshore wind turbines will be 10 to 15 megawatts in size. Wow. These will be 200 metre high uh, structures with a wing, you know, a, a, a swept blade a space of about another 120 metres. Massive engineering. Yeah. I mean, it's back to where, what I was saying. Oil and gas in Scotland started in the 60s and 70s and it grew to be a global capability. The next couple of years are critical for Scotland to create the offshore wind, particularly the floating offshore wind industry okay. that will take us out to deeper waters. And if we deliver the Scott wind targets for 2030, that'll just be 5% of the world demand for floating offshore wind. It will give us the people, the skills, the project delivery and the technology to take this to a global market. But what it will do, Jim Mullen, anything, it will do what we've done for over 100 years. We will show the rest of the world, here is the blueprint. Right, here is as no, we're not just talking about it anymore. Well, you've just described to us that with your knowledge and your experience over the many, many years being involved in this, that it'd be easy to put a business plan together to show that this would be a successful enterprise. This is what we're all about. It would take a huge investment, but then you start by saying, okay, we've got the idea, then the thing that we cannot help on, how, how do we get, you know, how do we get the big money guys in here to say, look, this is a great business idea. How do we help get you the money to put that infrastructure in? Yeah, it's a great point, Well, Again, taking the, uh, taking the perception of the engine that this for me is a systems engineering challenge. It's not just the technology, that's important. It's not just policy, that's critically important to make sure it doesn't become an impediment to realising the opportunity. Investment, entrepreneurship and society engaging with it is key. So for me, this is a, this is a systems problem. So coming back to, you, to your uh, challenge, Willie, uh, the policy opportunities here have to be grabbed now. I mean, the various... Prime Ministers, including the, the we've had three this There's year. There's been a few. Uh, we've had three this <laughs> year, but each of them have committed successively to the uh, successively to the, the net zero yeah. opportunity. Uh, Mr. Sunak, it seems to me, is is revisiting that. The Chancellor seems to be committing to it. So, so Jim, can I ask? And this isn't a political point, but Willie always says Richie's my pal. I've never met him, but I like the cut of his jib. What do you feel? Does he get this? Does he get the opportunity? Yeah. So, so I've, I've had the you know the pleasure of engaging with the, the prime minister directly when he was chancellor and latterly now as, as as prime minister. I think he sees this as a as an eco, an economic opportunity as well as uh, you know a legally binding commitment to get yes. to net zero by twenty fifty. So the whole green economy piece again, it's a, it's a nice headline, but the truth of the matter is the detail beneath it is so important. So the chancellor understands that the UK has to drive towards what's called strategic advantage. Green technologies in there, life sciences, quantum, AI, semiconductors, but in the energy space, uh, this is critically important because let, let me remind you, the whole of the UK and Scotland is part of that as well, uh, is the, we have ageing energy infrastructure. Right. Uh, we, we don't have an option. We've got to invest in grid, but we're doing it too slowly. We've got to invest in replacement generation, but we're doing it too slowly. We need to create the skills base and the supply chain that's necessary to anchor the economic benefit here, but we're not doing it coherently enough. So to my system's point, if we, if we get the policy machinery consistent 
and not going up and down like a fiddler's elbow, that we get a 10-year a runway in front of us yeah. where we can say we can depend on this ongoing commitment by UK government and, of course, the Scottish government. Then we could create the conditions that crowd in private sector investment. The public sector can't deliver this on yeah. its own. No. Yeah. They can create the policies, they can be consistent, and then what they need to do is and make, they shouldn't, yeah. I, and they make shouldn't, the space yeah. for yeah. investors like yourselves yeah. and they're businesses not good at to it. Yeah. Absolutely. They, right. they, they create the policy framework yeah. and let the entrepreneurs' investment put the capital in, but they need to create the yeah. right ingredients and template well absolutely and, and when they get in the way they get it all wrong and they end up costing people fortunes you know just like no boris johnson stands up at the the the, you know, the box in, in the house of parliament and says right we're just going to fit heat pumps right no signs behind it no nothing people are running Don't about right no, but, but i'm pumps, saying but this Jim, is really please. important if we take all the money that we're wasting on things that will make no difference at all. If we all invested that by buying shares in the new infrastructure company that meant that all our, el all our electricity that's coming in here, right, is all clean energy. So we don't need a solar panel. We don't need a battery backup. We don't need a heat pump. We could have an electric boiler, right, then use all the other smart technologies, smart meters, all of that stuff. But what we could do is spend all the money in the fabric, Right, get double insulation, get double glazing, so that we're hardly using energy at all. And my point to Jim is, and he's the key guy in this. He's, he's, he's you know, he's got a says at the table. Is let's make sure we get it right. And once we know that the science is right, that these are the right things to do, whether it's tidal or you know it's wind, all that we've got uh, an abundance, right? So we've got this natural resource that we could be using in Scotland. And I think we should just start plugging away instead of giving us two new zones that are going to give us. Make Scotland a zone. Yeah. So let me just calibrate some of that. I mean, but the, the, it's, wet, it's wet and windy outside. Actually, it feels a wee bit wet and windy in this studio as well. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the high winds of excitement from the interviewers. But uh, you think about this, I mean, Scotland has a quarter of the whole of Europe's wind resource. Wow. A quarter wow. Uh, wind resource. So that's, a, that's a figure that's not shouted from the rooftops. Yes. So, so the natural resource, and, and you know, the economists will tell you now, natural capital start to become a very important thing for us to bear in mind. So our natural capital, a quarter of the European wind resource, and you, you, you'll know this as well if you've been up to the north of Scotland and in around Orkney, we've got a third of the European Atlantic Arc wave resource. Yes. A third. Yeah. and a quarter of the European tidal resource. So there's an entity called the European Marine Energy Centre up in Orkney, run by a friend of mine, uh, Neil Kermode. All of the major wave and tidal devices uh, in and around Europe get tested up there. Right. I mean, if they can survive in the waters up and around Orkney, they can survive just about anywhere. But but that's, that's coming to a tipping point. Wind is a massively you know, successful story. Over the past 10 years, because of engineering and technology and innovation, and a lot of it based in Scotland, uh, to, to the point that both of you have made, the original cost was £140 a megawatt hour for offshore wind. Mm -hmm. It's now down to £40 wow. per megawatt hour. Wow. Now, the manufacturers and the project developers will tell you that's starting to be a wee bit too low to make it economically viable for project yep. viability, but that, that's another discussion. Yep. The key thing is there's an opportunity there. The economics are driving the reality of this. Right. And uh, back to that systems point, Willie, because what's been missing, uh, as I say, I mentioned SSEB, so I, I was out of the industry 
before it was privatised. But since it's privatised, there's obviously been a, a new journey about how the utility industry operates. But also what we've missed is an overarching UK energy strategy and an energy policy. To be fair to the Scottish government, they're currently consulting on their draft energy strategy. Good. And it's, you know, they're, they're trying to create the conditions where investment in renewables is real. But we have to start prioritising what projects do we start on. So if we think about 2050, if you if you use, as business leaders do, scenario-based analysis, well, what's 2030 going to look like? What's 2050 going to look like? Well, I would say in 2050, we're going to have to have about double and maybe three times the amount of electricity generation we've got just now. Why? Because we'll be electrifying transport, yeah. we'll be electrifying heat in homes, and we'll be using electrical systems for industrial processes. I mean, in Scotland, and maybe no surprise, if I, if I tell you how the energy is made up, 51% of any, our energy goes into heating. Yes. Right. 21% into electricity, and 26% or so into transport. So we've got big issues around heating. So renewable heat, whether it's you know ground source, air source, heat pumps, well, yeah. It, the insulation is here. So what, what must we do? Uh, the Royal Academy of Engineering, at the midpoint of the COP26 conference in Glasgow, published a, a report that we called the Low Regrets Paper. Yeah. And we said to UK government, here are the low regrets investments you need to make, regardless of what 2050 might turn out to be. Electrification of transport, so get the electrical charging infrastructure in place. Decarbonisation of the construction industry including more efficient homes. I mean, the construction industry contributes about 30% of the emissions yeah. across society, which is a remarkable number. But there's also an opportunity for that industry to make a disproportionate contribution to addressing climate change. We also, we've not mentioned hydrogen yet, but the notion of green hydrogen uh, and I'm conscious of audience here. There is blue hydrogen as well, but there is there's green hydrogen. The blue hydrogen. I don't care what colour it is, Jeff. But there's there's blue hydrogen where we can steam reform hydrocarbons out of the oil and gas industry. That's part of the journey. And there's grey grey hydrogen which goes through the other industrial processes. But the big prize is green hydrogen, where we take this electricity from the offshore wind uh, installations bring them ashore to very major industrial-scale electrolysis plant, which then converts water into hydrogen. And then hydrogen can be used either for transport or for high-temperature industrial processes. And I'm happy to say there's signs now, you know, there's, there's one very large company, uh, Fortescue Future Industries, led by an Australian, uh, you know, the, the, the equivalent of Willie Hoy and Tom Hunter in Australia. A lunatic. Uh, and, <laughs> and Andrew Forrest. I know Andrew yeah. Forrest. So yeah. Andrew, yeah. as well as being a, a very senior player in the mining industry. That's how he made his fortune, yeah. Andrew is now saying he's making a commitment to A, making mining more sustainable, but also driving green hydrogen. And Scotland's one of the places he's so interested in. So we Great. have so many assets. First and foremost are people but we can't take skills for granted. I mean, Skills Development Scotland will tell you we've got about 100,000 jobs in energy just now, but over the next 10 to 12 years, we could grow that to about 250,000 yeah. jobs. Brilliant. 100,000 alone in offshore wind, but if we get hydrogen industry going, if we get carbon capture utilisation and storage going, if we rebuild this decarbonised construction and house building industry, Massive opportunity, so we need to get the skills machine lined up. But ultimately, if we build the infrastructure, get the manufacturing in here, we can make sure that we address climate change, but build 
Scotland for 2050 as well. So, Jim, am I right in assuming this, that if if I buy my energy, and so I'm building blocks of flats just now, so if I buy all my energy from, say, Scottish Power or anyone else, and that they, by that time, are 100% clean energy, right? In my mind, is that's a tick, right? So for me then, I don't need to then add a heat pump, I don't need to add a solar panel, I don't need to add a battery. What I can do with all of that money is put it into the fabric. So double the insulation, double the... I'm not trying to save money, but I'm saying is, for me, that's sorted. All of this energy, no matter how much I want to burn, it's clean energy. So there's nothing there, there's nothing adding to my carbon footprint. Is Am I right in that? It's a... Just about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me just address that for a moment. So, so Scottish Power is 100% renewables yes. already. Right. So, which so, I see the adverts, which is brilliant. So, so all of their assets are either renewable energy sources or a decarbonised grid. Uh, I mean, it might interest you as well in terms of e economic value. I mean, the Scottish Power is spending £8 million a day. Yeah. £8 million a day in infrastructure investment. Over the next uh, six or seven years, they've spent £8 billion wow. in new offshore wind assets and grid. SSE, and I, and I heard it mentioned earlier on, this week, what a, how, an exciting project, Corrie Glass. Yeah. Uh, this is the, the Glen in, uh, in the, the north of Scotland, which they'll, they'll now subject to planning. Uh, they're about to spend a commitment of £100 million yes. to do the initial work, but that will be a £1.5 Yes. Investment. Wow. This is the, this is the projects we need. Uh, uh, now, this, and by the way, and we've been here before. So remember, Lord Weir, nineteen twenty-six, the Electricity Supply Act, and then from nineteen twenty-six through to the seventies and eighties, massive infrastructure projects. Because what does business need? One, it needs jobs, it needs investment, yeah. but business folk need reliable, secure, properly priced energy systems. Yeah. That is a, a fundamental the, these business are the requirement. That we have to get to financiers yeah. that we're real. Right, that we want it to be at the forefront of this. So we've got two minutes left. Is there anything that you definitely want to go on that you've not touched on? Anything that's important? So Jim, can I just right. make this point for the listeners this morning? So Willie and I have this dream that Scotland can lead the world. I've been searching for good news for this week's show and I didn't find it, but I'm so excited by what you've been saying. So our hunch on this, you as the engineer are saying you're no you're no too wrong you pair um scotland can lead the world in this but it needs leadership it needs collaboration and it we need to deliver is that is that what i'm hearing is that what i'm getting yeah because i'm really excited about this yeah so so the the if i'm looking at the intangible assets and scotland plc's balance sheet uh, tom it's it's confidence Right. It's ambition and it's collaboration. These are massive. Uh, I think that's absolutely core to the Scottish psyche. Just now what we've got is uh, the risk of losing out in a, you know, the cliched once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We yep. didn't capture the opportunities of onshore wind yep. 25, 30 years ago. With the offshore wind revolution that's coming, with the hydrogen revolution that's coming, carbon capture and storage, grid infrastructure. Scotland has got the technical capabilities. I think I'm bound to say, because the data would back me up, Scotland's universities are in the leading group Brilliant. internationally Fantastic. for research capability. 
uh, entities like Skills Development Scotland and the, the Apprenticeship Advisory Board, uh, they're all focused in on getting industry investing in skills because one of the biggest things that will attract investment is talent. You know that? Yep. Tax breaks are good, but innovation and talent other things that anchor people. So I am genuinely uh, optimistic, Tom and Willie, uh, but there, just now my concern is there's not enough project flow. Right. The reality of this will be major project investment. That'll give investors the confidence. I mean, SNIB are looking at this. Private uh, invent investment agencies are looking at this. The government wants to crowd in private investment. But in, between now and 2030, seven years is a heartbeat in the uh, life of major energy strategies. But 2030 for me will be the major milestone. But by then, hopefully we see the majority of the Scotland projects up and running, yeah. that we see major internal and foreign direct investment come into Scotland to build hydrogen assets, that we'd have genuinely industry-scale carbon and capture projects, and that the utilities, along with other industries, have created the electrical infrastructure that we need to power homes, to power transport and power the industry of the future. Scotland's led in this before. We've got the intellectual capability. I think we've got the will, but we need leadership, confidence, and that entrepreneurial spirit that turns objective into economic value. Brilliant. Jim, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. We could go on for hours and hours. There's no doubt that we're going to get you back on, <laughs> right? Because this is a passion for us. And if it, I wouldn't care if we had this in the show every week, right? Because this could be vital. And listening to what you've got to say the, this morning, I'm doubling up on my efforts and we will have to look at what we can do to, to help with us. But um, it's, it, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Yeah, thanks, Jim. As a Strathclyde boy, um, I'm delighted and we haven't even touched on because I think you're this rare beast that is an academic, an engineer and an entrepreneur all in the one head because you have been a disruptor at Strathclyde for the benefit of Strathclyde. So I just want to thank you for that and genuinely thank you for your leadership and let's make Scotland lead the world and you're a big part of it. Thank you. My pleasure to speak to you. Thank you. Tom, it's been a grueling few months. You look a wee bit peaky. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a couple of weeks off, okay? So for all our listeners, the Go Business Radio Show will be in holiday for the next two weeks. We hope you all have a lovely Easter. We look forward to the crowning of the new First Minister and we'll be back in three weeks' time. Business show with workflow solutions, turning your paper based processes into organized and digital workflows. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security, and more. As a true managed service provider, workflow solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs, saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work-from-anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk.